Praise the Lord. Well, this morning, I, uh, well, I preached last Sunday. I taught this Wednesday. I worked almost 48 hours this week. I clocked, and you know when you, you go to work and you're, you're doing all this, you, you, it's just draining, right? It's exhausting. Hallelujah. But I am so glad that coming to church, that's not draining. Hallelujah. It's refreshing. I'm so excited to be here today. Hallelujah. So excited to be in the presence of the Lord to get that refreshing, that renewal, that refill. Hallelujah. That helps me get through just another day. Hallelujah. Thank you so much to each and every one of you that came here this morning um, and that is here in the presence of God today. And I just want to say thank you so, so much to Brother Mayo, who at the last minute came and and came to our rescue, if you will. Um, Please keep Pastor in your prayers. You know him. He wanted to be here so bad. He had a sermon ready. He had a little PowerPoint ready and everything. Um, And I know that it just kills him not to be here. Um, But we are so thankful that we still get to be fed this morning. We still get the word of God. So let's welcome Brother Mayo as he comes this morning. Praise the Lord, church. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Excited to be here today. Amen. And, you know, even if I wouldn't have been able to make it, God would have provided. Amen. Hallelujah. I just have the amazing opportunity to be used by God, and I praise God for that. Amen. But I just want to be a servant of the Almighty God, just somebody that is pleasing to Him. Amen. Hallelujah. I give honor unto your pastor, your pastor's wife. Amen. Praise God. Doing a fantastic job today in spite of the circumstances. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It is always awesome. And it should always be when you come to the presence of the Lord or come to the house of the Lord that you feel his presence. Hallelujah. His glory can be made manifest through us, in us, hallelujah, and around us, hallelujah. I'm excited for what God has in store today. Praise the Lord. I want to echo what, what um, Sister Mian said. Your pastor really wanted to be here. He talked to me a little bit as well, and he loves you all very much, amen. And I know he'll be excited to be back with you all next Sunday, Lord willing, amen. Hallelujah. If you haven't or you're not, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to pray for your pastor. Amen. Pray for the man of God that is in your life, that takes the time out of his week, out of his day, hours that he spends praying and seeking the face of you, for you of God for you all, fighting things, amen, so that you may not have to fight them, interceding on your behalf. Hallelujah. Pray for your pastor. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, hallelujah, we'll get into the word of the Lord this morning. We'll go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Second Samuel chapter 12. Say amen when you're there. We'll go to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and we'll begin with verse 20. It says, Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, 
They set bread before him, and he did eat. I know that just scripture out of its context may not make sense right now, but I promise you uh, I will make sure it makes sense as we go through this message together. But what I feel God has truly laid on my heart today is to speak to you just for a little bit on our response. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your love that is renewed each and every morning. We thank you for your mighty hand and your precious spirit that is moving and working in our lives even right now. We ask you to open up our minds to receive your word. Lead us and direct us in every way, God. Use us according to your express purpose and will, God. We give ourselves to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. And in Jesus' name, your precious name. We pray, amen and amen. I wonder if we can give the Lord some worship one more time. Can we just keep going with that a little bit longer? I feel, I feel the presence of the Lord in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. When Jehoshaphat was fighting or going up to fight an army, God said, put Judah up first. Let there be praise before you even get to the battlefield. And then all of a sudden, as they were praising, God was taking care of the enemy. They didn't have to even lay a finger, amen? Praise brings the victory. God moves in response to our praise. It is the sweetest smelling savor that can be sent up to him is our sacrifice of praise unto the almighty God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. A recent study done by the Sanford Research Institute identified that success in business is 88% attitude and 12% education. Not saying that education is absolutely not important. Education is important. Oh, and you may be seated. Amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. But our attitude determines our response. The way in which our outlook is on our regular points and times in life are going to be an expression or an explanation of how we respond to external stimuli. Amen? It determines whether we walk away or whether we jump right into the fray of a fight. It determines whether we we turn our cheek or turn around when somebody says something mean or rude or obtuse, or we turn around and say something right back. Our attitude determines our response, and our response determines the outcome. Amen? I'm here to tell you, That if you turn away from somebody speaking rude and mean things to you, you're going to have a much better outcome than if you turn around and, as they say, clap back and say something else to try to get your way or try to get above them in the, in the comments that they make. Nine times out of ten, if you, if you look at what, what is, what is proliferating YouTube, it's all these different videos about people that do just that, keep talking, 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 uh, uh, Fusion start, issues start, people get elevated in their anger and frustration, and all of a sudden a fight breaks out, right? And if they're two adults, most likely both of them are going to be going to somewhere that they probably don't want to be. Amen? Our response determines our outcome. Amen? 
So we find here in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20, a series of events that has occurred. David is the, is the king of Israel at this time. He went through a lot to get there. He started out being anointed around the ages of 16, and I don't think he started his, um, his, his ministry, if you will, as king until about 30. So there was a lot of years in between in which he had to fight and, and to, to seek the face of God and to be close to God. And you, you can look through the, the first and second Samuel and see all the things that happened to David in his life. But now we find that David has finally gotten to a place in recent time where there is peace. There is the borders are established and set of the land of Canaan. The, the Philistines are subdued. Armies are, are going up and, and just about wherever, where, wherever David lays his hand to go, it is blessed and he is victorious. He doesn't have to worry about losses. He's, it, God is with him. God is strengthening him. God is encouraging him. God is taking him to higher levels and new places that the king before him could not go. Amen. And we hear the common phrase that is given to David, a man after God's own heart. God loved David. God helped David. God blessed David. And we find the chapter a few before this, God, David was like, look, you know, they're building a house for me. And I'm getting a nice house that's made as a a king. And and this just seems wrong because still my God dwells in a tabernacle. The thing that Moses made so long ago, the badger skins and all those different things, the things that was ordained so many years ago, still sitting here and putting that as the house of the Lord. God needs a better house is what David's saying. And so so David goes to the prophet Nathan and he says, Nathan, I can't deal with this. We've got to do something. If I'm going to live in an extravagant house, God has to do the same. And so Nathan says, okay, do, Nathan just gives a blessing. Okay, whatever your hand is to do, go ahead and do it. It's okay. And then Nathan comes back after God speaks to him and says, you know, God says it's not your time to build a tabernacle right now, but, but I see your heart and I see what you desire to do and I'm going to bless you and out of you is going to come a lineage of promise. That lineage of promise being the fulfillment, amen, of the Messiah Messiah." prophecy put all the way in Genesis. Amen. That there would be a man that would that would crush the serpent's head and his heel would be bruised. That man was God wrapped in flesh. Jesus. Hallelujah. From David proceeded the seed. Hallelujah. Of Jesus. Amen. That was set on this earth to rid us from the impossibility of salvation and give us the ability to be right with God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You see this great and precious promise that was given to David because of his heart and his hunger. Amen? But then it says, came upon a time when the kings were to go forth to war. So obviously, or most likely, it was winter months before or something that was prohibitive for kings to go fight because the, the, the wilderness would be dangerous, if not more dangerous than the armies that fought. There was a specific time set or a specific season that began for the kings in that area to go forth to war. It says David abode still at Jerusalem. Now, Taking a break every once in a while is not inherently a bad thing. 
And I don't believe the word of God is trying to say that what David did as far as taking time to rest was a sin. Joab was out. He was fighting the military. He was, he was doing what he needed to do. But the problem is, is if we're not careful with our time, especially our idle time, it can lead us into things that we shouldn't do. And so David walked out onto his balcony, as he oft did, and it says that he came across the site of Bathsheba bathing. Now, back in that time, the, the, the men and women would bathe on top of, the, of their house. Amen. That was just the place where they would do it. Um, I, I can't give you a deeper explanation than that, but that's just what occurred, right? And so David saw Bathsheba, but he didn't just turn his eyes. No, he, he inquired about her. Who is this lady? Oh, it's just a wife of one of your mighty men. Well, bring her to me. Let's, let's just have a chat. And that chat led to other things and led to David committing a sin of adultery. But David didn't stop there. Amen. Not only did he commit a sin of adultery when, when he recognized that Bathsheba was pregnant by him, he brought Uzziah back and he said, hey, man, look, you know, you've been doing a lot. Tell me how everything's going. Oh, it's going good. We're, we're winning. We're OK, great. Hey, you know what? I, I just I want to give you something special. You know, just just go back to your house and spend some time with your wife. You'll, you'll enjoy it. And then you can go back out on the on the in the field. And he goes, OK, OK. And all of a sudden, his sermons come back to him the next morning and say, hey. He never even left the, the he never even left your house, David. He didn't even go anywhere. And he's like, brings it back. Hey, what are you doing? He's like, no, how can I, being a, a military man with all of my people out there fighting in a war, go and be with my wife at this time? That's not right for me to do. I'm gonna sit here, I'm gonna fellowship with you, but I'm I'm not gonna go down there. And so David said, Okay. So the next thing he tried to do is get him drunk. So he's gonna get him drunk, and he says, Okay, if you get him drunk, he'll get down there. Still didn't leave the place where David's house was. So David said, fine, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send a letter with Uzziah. Say, hey, Joab, put him in the front. Make sure that he doesn't come out of this war alive. That's exactly what happened. And after the war was over and, and after a report came back that Uzziah died, David gave Bathsheba time for mourning and then married Bathsheba and the son was conceived. All of a sudden, Nathan comes and says, hey, there was a man that was rich and had many, many sheep and one man that was poor and had one. And the rich man, because he didn't want to mess with his sheep, took the, of the poor man's sheep and sacrificed it. And David was angry. How in the world would he do this? He needs to be killed, put at the stake right now. We need to, need to punish him with the full extent of the law. Nathan goes, David, thou art the man. You, exactly what the analogy was of what I said. Right after God had given him a precious promise for a seed to be established, for somebody to be on the throne of Israel, of his lineage, for the rest of eternity, for everlasting. Sometimes when we get a promise from God, a deep and uh, 
relationship with him and God is moving and God is blessing and we see blessings over and over again and God works on us. Sometimes that carnal nature still dwells and lives in us. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place of, of, of just a bit of relaxation, a place where we're resting from the work that we've been doing and, and inherently, that, again, that's not bad but sometimes we can find ourselves moving towards a place where we're looking at things that we don't need to be looking at and we're hanging out with people that we don't need to be hanging out with or we're putting ourselves in places that we shouldn't be amen and in that relaxation and that comfort we find ourselves being too comfortable with the pleasures of this world and falling into temptation and sin because of it hallelujah we can get comfortable where we're at we can get satisfied with where we're at and instead of continuing to get closer and closer to God we say okay I'm good right where I'm at and we let the tempter come in and tempt us we entertain the temptation amen God desires that we flee temptation we don't it's not just something that we just deal with temptation comes into our lives it's not for us to just sit there and be like oh well temptation's here god will take me and help me get me through it no it says flee temptation says resist temptation it's to make an active move and a stand against temptation we should not be comfortable with temptation around us if we can eliminate it we need to eliminate it if we can reduce it we need to reduce it whatever it takes for our lives to be pleasing to god that should be our utmost focus and desire because i'm here to tell you whenever you get to a place of weakness whenever the struggle is hard and the devil is fighting and the situations are going on in your life the first thing the devil's going to do is to give you the most passionate temptation that you have and watch you try to succumb to it and if we are not careful we will find ourselves in a place just like David was after being blessed after seeing the blessings of God that we just turn around and say you know what I'm just going to commit this sin Hallelujah. But that's not the end. And, and, and what I want to express to you, I've given you the background, and I want to talk about further in detail about the response that David made and how it applies to us. I truly believe that there is a revelation here that if we truly get and understand, it will change our lives forever. So Nathan said, thou art the man. And, and, and Bray says that there's going to be the curses upon him. The things that you did in secret are going to be expressed out openly. Things are going to happen in your life. There's going to be a sword after your family from now and forever. There's going to be damage that happens to your family as a result of your sin. The first step that David shows in our response, in his response, is I'm sorry. He repented. You find in Psalms chapter 53 that there is a whole series, a whole chapter dedicated to David's repentance of what he did to Bathsheba. Hallelujah. And you find in David's response that David did not go after and seek after doing some kind of offering or sacrifice. No, he gave of his heart that was broken because he realized the sin that he committed and the issues that occurred as a result. Amen. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes I can find myself in a place where I fall into temptation, fall into sin, and then I say, okay, well, I just gotta, I've gotta fast and I gotta pray. And, and, and I, it's not that I'm doing it necessarily because I realize this. It wasn't that I was doing it necessarily because I needed to, because obviously we need to fast and we need to pray, but I was doing it to try to be a sacrifice to put up in place of my sin. That's not what God wants. He does not want us to try to try to cover our, 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 our sin with sacrifice. If you look in Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, it says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. God much more is interested in our heart than he is with anything else that is going on in our lives. He's interested in our desire and our yearning to say, God, I don't ever want to do this again. God, I don't ever want to be this way again. Whatever it takes, God, for me to be free from the bondage of the sin, God, deliver me from it. I will do whatever it takes. If it means getting things out of my home, I will. If it means staying away from friends, I will. Whatever it takes, oh God, I repent and turn from my wicked ways. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We don't have a broken and a contrite heart when, when we sin because that is where God works the greatest in our lives and gives us the strength that we need to move forward. So step one in David's response is that he repented. For us, I truly believe as Christians, that is usually not a problem. We sin, we recognize we sin, and it's almost automatic, I think, for most to repent. Amen? Say, I'm sorry. Man, because it, the, 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 the word in itself, for the most part, is relatively simple. We feel bad. We feel that, that we've done wrong and we say, God, I'm sorry, I messed up. Help me to be better. But I feel that we have a struggle in overall Christianity, uh, even in apostolic and, and Pentecostalism with step number two. And we find that after David repented, God said, the son that was conceived of the adulteress act is going to die. And so David, in response, put himself in sackcloth and ashes, went to a place, separate place than where he was going before, and he fasted and he prayed for seven days. Now, I don't know if we fully realize, and I didn't realize it until I was starting to study it, the power in that. We have David that committed a sin, that curses were just laid upon him. He repented, and right after he repented, he felt that it was appropriate to go and to request his need be made known and to be responded to by God. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I sin, I don't feel like I want anything to do. I, don't, I just don't feel like I'm worthy of anything to God. It, sometimes in, in my past when I was younger, it was hard for me to pray just because I felt so unworthy to be in his presence, so unworthy to receive the forgiveness, so unworthy to, to even ask him what I need. How dare I ask him for something when I can't even keep myself right? 
But we see a revelation here. David didn't worry and wasn't concerned about the sin that was committed because he repented. God said it was done. And so he went right back to the way he was before and pleaded his cause before the almighty God. I'm here to tell you if you have sin, if something has been committed in your life and you repented and you've turned yourself away from it and you desire to be close to God, the throne room is open all over again. God's not looking at you any differently than he did before your sin, but he said, come to me. I know you need my strength. I know you need my help. Make your petition known unto me. Come back to the throne. The throne is open and ready to receive you. Don't let the devil deceive you into believing that sin keeps you away from God. When you repent, it is washed away. When you repent, God throws in a sea of forgetfulness. And you can come right back to that throne of grace and say, God, I have a need. God, I have a desire. God, I need your help. That's what he wants from us. God did not wrap himself in this flesh and let his flesh die on the cross so that we can restrict ourselves from the presence of the almighty God. Jesus. And if anybody ever told you that you couldn't get into the presence of the Lord after you sinned and repented, they are a liar. There is no criteria that makes it that you have to do outside of repentance to be able to come back on your knees and pray to the Almighty God. Hallelujah. That's what He's designed it for to have our needs met. And what greater time do we need our needs met than when we feel broken and convicted and contrite about what we've done. Hebrews 4 verse 15 through 16 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling or infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He went through what you went through. He was tempted just like you were. He had an opportunity to sin just like you did. He was Because he was divine as well as man, he was able to live without sin so he could be the perfect sacrifice. But he knows what you're going through. He knows how difficult it is. He doesn't hold that against you, but he desires that you get to that. You repent and you move forward in him. Verse 16 says, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do we understand what the author of Hebrews is saying? He's talking about, hey, you may have sinned. There is sin, I know. And we're talking about sin right now. I don't care if you sinned. Come boldly to the throne of grace that you might be able to find mercy in the time of your need. Hallelujah. Response step two is to boldly come to the throne of grace after you repent. To continue to strive to get a deeper relationship with God. Hallelujah. If there is any time that you should recognize a moment to up your prayer time, it is after you succumb to temptation. 
Don't let the devil guilt trip you into saying that you can't pray, that you can't come to church, that you can't talk to your pastor, that you can't talk to a trusted brother or sister, that you can't be a witness, that you can't lay your hands on somebody in accordance with the word of God and see a miracle happen. That is not what God's word says. It says that when you repent, it's gone. When you turn from your wicked ways, it's gone. God no longer holds your past against you, but it is desires for you to move forward. Hallelujah. Sometimes we try to disqualify ourselves because we've what we've done or been through and we forget that God had already known every sin you'd commit in your life. Sin is not a surprise to God. Sin is not a surprise to God. The times in which you have fallen is not a surprise to God. God is not sitting on his throne and going, whoa, I can't believe that happened. No, he says, I know it. I knew that sin was going to occur. And I'm still right here because I have a greater purpose for you than being all concerned about the sin that you've repented for and about your past. I have a greater desire for you, for your calling and for your ministry than to be consumed with the situations that occurred years ago. I hunger for a relationship with you. I've called you because I knew that you would sin, but I also knew that I was greater. He called you anyway. No matter what sin you've committed, no matter what things that have happened in your past, God called you anyway. Evidence by you being right here, right now. There's a reason why you're at church. Hallelujah. It says God reveals to those that love him who he is. You are here because God has called you and revealed himself to you in some way, shape, or form. It is not a coincidence. It is divinely inspired by the almighty God. Stop being consumed with your sin and your past. Forgive, hallelujah, yourself. Repent towards God and live a life that is pleasing to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why do you let sin and your past determine what God can do with you when God already knew what you were going to do when he called you? I want to explain that this is not a license to continue in sin. Man, the Bible says, shall we sin so that grace may abound? He says, no, we are children of the light, so we shouldn't have any darkness in us. Amen. But it says that if we do sin, we've got an advocate with the Father. We have a way to be forgiven. And God already knew exactly what was going to happen. But he called you anyway. He prepared you anyway because he's greater than any sin that you can ever commit. I wonder if we can clap our hands and give worship unto the God. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.
one more thing that I want to talk about before we go into the third response. Sometimes we hold our past in a box, and I was going to bring a box, but I forgot, so I apologize. Sometimes we hold our past in a box and said, God, you can have all this. You can have all this except for this little piece. I'm going to hold this to myself. I'm going to keep this for me because I just, I don't think you can handle this. You can handle my past and the situations that happened in my past, but you can't handle this, whether it be actions that we've done or things that have happened in our lives that have been very hurtful or traumatic. You, you just can't, can't have this. And every time you pray and every time you seek the face of God, you get victory and you get peace and you get joy. And then God brings up that little thing and you close yourself off and Wonder why you can't pray past 30 minutes or wonder why you can't pray past 45 minutes. Wonder why the situation always keeps coming up because God did not intend that you would carry your own burdens. What does he say in his word? Take your burden upon me, my burden upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is like God wants to give you a burden for what he's called you to do, not a burden of your past and your situations. God wants to carry your burdens. God wants to carry your weights and the sins that have occurred in your past life. He wants to carry those things. Stop holding on to that one little thing that you think God can't handle or that you don't know if you can be victorious over. I'm here to tell you you will never get the victory that you want until you give this to God and say, God, I give it to you. Everything. All of me. I don't want to hold anything else anymore. All I want is your burden. All I want is your desire for me. And I'm going to walk forward in boldness for you. Hallelujah. I want everybody to stay with me. He wants us to be victorious. Say it again. He wants us to be victorious. Amen. He wants us to be victorious. Hallelujah. David's third response is that he worshiped. Now, we have to dig a little bit deeper to understand the context because David worshiped all the time, right? But the key part of this response is that even though he fasted and he prayed, the son still Even though he put his heart out and pled to God for days for the miracle to occur, the son still died. Sometimes situations in our lives happen for multiple reasons. We are going to have consequences that come as a result of sin. The Bible says that whatever we sow, that we should also reap. There's going to be situations that occur, but God is greater and will get us through those situations. Amen? But sometimes in life, things do not happen in the way that we expect them to. Things do not happen in the way that we always pray for them to occur. Sometimes situations that we fervently pray and fast about, healings that we've prayed after and and, and desperately desired for a long time, never happen. And we can get to a place where we may not understand. God, I don't get it. I've given my everything. I've not held anything back. I don't know why this hasn't occurred. This hasn't come to fruition. I don't know why this still happened. Why did they have to die? Or why did they have to walk away from God? Why do we have to be in this situation? Sometimes things happen in life that we just don't understand. 
And there's no, I don't have a Bible for this, but I truly feel just putting myself in David's shoes, there may have been a little bit of, I don't understand why my son has to die for my sin. But he worshiped God anyway. It says after he heard that his son was dead, he got himself up, he dusted himself off, he put on new clothes, he went to the the house of the Lord to wherever he had set apart to worship and worship. That was the first thing he did. He didn't go and talk to a brother or sister. He didn't do anything else. He said, is the son, is a child dead? Okay, got up, went, prayed, worshiped, and then got something to eat. Amen? His response when something didn't that something didn't happen that he wanted to happen was that he worshiped God anyway. Amen. And when asked, hey, this doesn't make sense. Why were you fasting when he was alive? When he's dead, you're fine. You went to worship. He said, I was hoping that God's grace may have overshadowed his command and that the son would live. But because he didn't, I'm still going to worship God anyway. Hallelujah. God's grace is sufficient. We may not understand it, but there's only one place we can go. In John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69, Jesus is discussing a, 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 some things of indoctrinal, doctrinal importance where he's talking to the Jews about him being the spiritual flesh and meat that they must eat of to, to be into, entered into the kingdom of God. And, and the, he was speaking it in parables and in, and in analogies, and it was tough for them. And, and finally, he, he got to the point where he said what he needed to say, and it says, and at that from that time, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him they couldn't understand what he was saying they couldn't grasp it they they just didn't want to believe it and seek for it so they walked away and jesus went to his 12 disciples and said are you guys going to do the same thing are you going to leave me also verse 68 says then simon peter answered him lord whom shall we go to whom shall we go thou hast the words of eternal life Verse 16, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hallelujah. Peter was saying for the disciples, God, there is nowhere else we can go. There is nobody else we can turn to. There is nobody that's able to give us what you can give us, that can lead us the way you can lead us, that can direct us and strengthen us the way you can. There's nobody that's given us promises in their word that has been able to be faithful in all things, that has given us uh, fish when we needed it, that healed sick, that cast out demons, that did all these great and mighty things. Where else can we go? I'm here to tell you, if you don't see, if you see something that you don't understand, the last thing you need to do is to walk away from church. The last thing you need to do is to walk away from the word of God. The last thing you need to do is walk away from God. But no, the thing you should do is be fervent more than ever before in your desire to please him, to worship him, to serve him, and he will give you whatever you need. Where else can we go? The center of the camp of Israel in the wilderness was the temple, the tabernacle. Jesus, God, dwelled in the midst of his people. It was the central part of their lifestyle. And God expects the same for us. Hallelujah. Is God the central part of your lifestyle? Is he the reason why you do everything? 
Are you doing all things to give him glory? I'm here to tell you, if you are doing it, it will be easy when you get something that you don't understand to still turn, get down on your hands and knees and worship the almighty God. Hallelujah. He is worthy of worship. But as I talked about in the beginning, the most important thing about our response is that it determines the outcome. The most important thing about doing these things that I'm talking about is that it will develop and strengthen you in a deeper relationship with God. You don't have to be ashamed. After you sin and repent, you can come boldly to God. When sin occurs, you need to repent and turn from it and say, God, whatever it takes to eliminate it, that's what I'm going to do. And when you don't get what you, uh, you get something that you don't understand or you don't get something that you wanted, you worship the Lord anyway. That's our response. But let me show you something that the word of God says. Now, we can put 2 Samuel 12, verse 24 up there. It says, And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in unto her and lay with her. And she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon. What does that last part say? And the Lord loved him. The Lord loved him. Hallelujah. David had many sons by this time. Many people that could have been the child of promise for the next generation. But God used the son that came from an accursed relationship to bring forth the next generation. And not only that, to be shown in Matthew as part of the lineage of Jesus. I'm here to tell you God's ultimate, fullest, and truest desire in your life is to turn the mess that you've made on your own into a message, into a blessing for others. It's to turn the situation around and say, oh, when I look back on my days, God truly made all things work for the good. Oh, to those that are called, hallelujah, and those that are according to his purpose. Amen. God truly made the change and turned the wickedness that had happened in my past into the greatest blessing that I've ever experienced. He wants to make miracles out of your situations. He wants to make victories out of your defeat. He wants to turn the ashes of sin and death into roses and blooms of victory. Hallelujah. God desires to see promises fulfilled through the issues of sin and fallen times. Hallelujah. desires to overcome the temptation in your life with victory. Hallelujah. And this is not the only time Peter denied God three times. The person that said, Lord, I will never deny you. I will never turn my face from you. Denied him three times to the point that he cussed. He committed a sin just to prove that he wasn't part of God. But that was the same man 
that gave the salvation message on the day of Pentecost. Just 50 days later, he went from being a man that stripped himself naked to go fishing to a man that stood and represented God and the 12 apostles and said, Hallelujah, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this promise isn't just for you, but it's for you, your generation, your sons. Oh, as many as the Lord our God shall call. If not, oh, hallelujah. God wants to turn your mess into a miracle. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is calling. God is desiring a deeper relationship with all his people. God is hungry to see you walk in victory day after day after day. But I truly feel in my heart as I was praying and seeking God for the service, there is someone, if not multiple people, that are doing this right now, that are holding something of their past, something of their situation, something of an issue that has happened or in their life to themselves and they're not giving it to God and it's making them feel ashamed it's making them feel upset it's making them feel like they're not worthy to come up and receive a gift from God but God says give it to me I want it I desire it I don't want you to ever think about it again I want you to be delivered and victorious and free from every situation I want to turn what was once your mess into the greatest miracle you've ever seen Hallelujah, hallelujah. So what is our response today? How will you respond? God is calling. He knew what would occur in your life, and he is not surprised. God still wants to use you. He does not want you to live in guilt. He wants you to center your life on him. Hallelujah, these altars are open. Oh, I invite anybody, hallelujah, to come and seek the face of God. What is your response today? What is your response? Response today. Hallelujah.